This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. An effective and efficient U.S. federal government requires evidence about where needs are greatest, what works and what does not work, where and how programs could be improved, and how programs of yesterday may no longer be suited for today. Having access to timely, accurate, reliable statistical data enables the federal government to make reasoned and disciplined decisions about where to target resources to get the largest possible return for the American taxpayer. The federal government's statistical agencies and programs play a vital role in generating that data. Timely, accurate, and relevant statistical data are the foundation of evidence-based decision-making. How is the U.S. federal government leveraging data as a strategic asset? How is the federal government building the infrastructure for evidence-based policymaking? And what does the future hold for the federal data and statistical communities. I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Nancy Potuck, Chief Statistician within the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, Nancy, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. Great. So let's start off with some history. Uh, could you give us a, an overview of the history and mission of the Office of Management and Budgets, Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs? How does it work within the management and budget sides? Well, the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, which um, I'll call OIRA, if that's okay with you, um, it was really established back in the 70s in the Paperwork Reduction Act. Um, and a lot of people forget the information side because it's most well known for regulation and deregulation in mm-hmm. reviewing government regulations. But the information side is the part that I concentrate on. Um, it It is not part of the budget or the management okay. side. It's its own office, standalone, with an administrator who is appointed by the president, confirmed by the Senate, and reports to the director of OMB. Part of the um, rationale for why the office is there is really to reduce burden on the public and to have more efficient information collections across government. Um, But efficient also means high quality. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we do in OIRA is um, we review information collections. Um, So they could be scientific studies. They could be um, studies that feed into a cost-benefit analysis that may drive a regulation. But there are also um, surveys, um, the surveys done by the statistical agencies, and they are – 
forms that people fill out to get benefits. And the main purpose is to really make sure if it's a study, that it has a scientific design. Mm-hmm. Um, it's rigorous um, and objective and unbiased. <laughs> and if it's a, a statistical collection, same thing, that it's high quality using sound methodology. Um, that does feed a lot into the regulatory process, but it has, of course, many, many other uses. That's a great uh, starting point. I'd like to transition to your specific role uh, and office within OMB and uh, tell us more about the work of the Statistical and Science Policy Office and your duties as uh, chief statistician. Yeah, it's it's funny. When I tell people that I'm the chief statistician of the United States, States yep. there's this little pause. Then people say, wow, that's the coolest title I ever <laughs> heard in government. And then there's another pause, and then they say, and what do you do? Exactly. <laughs> so I don't actually do production of statistics. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a policy job. And it was established as part of the Paperwork Reduction Act okay. and put into OIRA. Okay. Um, and my job is really um, three threefold. Um, first and foremost, I safeguard the integrity of federal data. I am charged with making sure that federal statistics are objective, unbiased, um, not politically influenced, mm-hmm. um, accurate, timely, and relevant. And so um, the law gives OMB the ability to put out uh, regulations and guidance, which I do, on um, standards for maintaining that. I think one that a lot of people are familiar with is um, when the federal economic indicators are released. Mm -hmm. For example, there's like a one-hour waiting period before Uh, policy people in government can comment on that. And only the statistical agencies themselves can put out that data and there's an embargo on it to make sure that nobody tries to, um, you know, manipulate the numbers before they're publicly released. And so all of those rules come out of my office. It's a statistical directive. Um, Same thing with things that aren't officially economic indicators. Um, There's procedures and processes that are set up. And we put out Um, methods and standards that agencies have to follow if they're going to say this is official U.S. government statistical data. So that's a very important role. Um, The second thing that I do is I coordinate the statistical agencies because we have a decentralized statistical system in the U.S. where the agencies are not one national statistical office, but they're in different departments. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, 13 and we can go into that a little bit more. But I had an interagency council on statistical policy that was also established in the Paperwork Reduction Act. And the heads of the agencies sit on that council, and I chair it. And uh, we work across government to um, work in, in a standardized way and collaborate and um, to talk about the policy issues that affect all the statistical agencies. Um, And then the third thing I do, also laid out in the law, is that I represent the U.S. internationally. So I am the U.S. uh, head of the delegation to the U.N. Statistical Commission. Um, In fact, I was just in New York because the commission was meeting. I also um, represent the U.S. at the OECD uh, on the statistical matters. And those are very important collaborations. We are fairly active in the international arena. Every country just about has a chief statistician. 
Their roles are a little bit different, but I know many of them, and we talk frequently about common issues. Well, you know, given um, your role and responsibility as chief statistician of the United States, what would you say your top challenges are, and how have you sought to address those challenges? Um, The top challenges are really around information and availability of information in the world today. Mm -hmm. Things have changed considerably in the last 10, 15 years even, and the pace of change is quite rapid. And my challenge is to make sure that the federal statistical system stays relevant in that environment, uh, which is quite important because we need a meeting of data scientists and statisticians. People think of statisticians sometimes almost as green eyeshade type people who are calculating <laughs> variance and standard deviations and things like that. But actually, um, statistical activity really defines um, information that is used to describe groups, even though it comes from individuals and it's business data or social data. And so that narrow definition of statistics has changed pretty considerably uh, because there's a lot of things that we measure the trend. We want to know what's happening with larger groups. And and if you want high-quality information, it's very important that you think about the mature system of quality measurement that the statistical community has developed over decades. In some quarters, I think there is a view that if you have enough data, you're going to get to the right answer eventually. But a lot of people use big data sets that aren't complete, that have biases built into them. There's ethical issues. The statistical system is a very mature framework that's important that can be uh, put to use in that. So how do we take these traditional statistical methods that rely primarily on surveys and modernize them for using other types of data? It's a big challenge. But The other side of that coin is as you produce better, faster, more granular types of statistical products at lower levels of geography, so instead of a national number for retail sales, uh, you might be able to at some point put out a daily number city by city, Mm -hmm. right? But the more data that you put out at lower levels of geography, the more you have to worry about re-identification because the key with statistical data is that you're protecting the privacy of the individual who's provided the data or whose data that you're using. And that's why it only describes groups and not individuals Mm -hmm. and is used for statistical purposes, not for law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So protecting confidentiality is is a big, big challenge these days because – technology and computing power and the availability of open data um, really create a different environment than we had 30 years ago. Okay. You know, the the intake side is a big challenge in terms of new data sources and the rapidity at which you can create products. But then the um, dissemination side of making the data available is also a big challenge. You know, another big, you know, I'm going to say it's a challenge, but switching gears when you're, when you're doing something that's government-wide, um, you know, it could be fraught with unanticipated, unexpected surprises. So I remember when we last had you on, you were at Census, and, yes. and now you're at OMB. What has surprised you most during your uh, time at OMB? Nothing. <laughs> no surprises <laughs> There anymore. are no surprises. <laughs> Everything it could be anticipated. That's fine. That's fine. Um, 
And maybe I have a little advantage in that sure. regard because early in, earlier in my career, I worked at OMB okay. for seven years. So I know OMB pretty well. Yes. 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 How is the U.S. federal government leveraging data as a strategic asset? We will ask Nancy Potok, Chief Statistician of the United States within the Office of Management and Budget, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Nancy Potok, Chief Statistician of the United States within the Office of Management and Budget. Nancy, in the previous segment, you mentioned the uh, U.S. federal statistical system and the decentralization. Um, Would you tell us more about what that means? And could you give us a sense of the principal statistical agencies, what they are, what types of data are collected by these federal agencies, and how... Do people, business, and government use that data? Yeah, the agencies, um, while they're all statistical agencies, are quite different in their structures and size, actually. Um, and, and except for census and the Bureau of Economic Analysis and BLS, which um, collect more general statistics across the whole economy and country, many of them are very specialized um, to their departments. So other agencies besides those three would be the National Center for Education Statistics in the Department of Education, National Center for Health Statistics, which is actually in the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, Energy Information Administration, the Statistics of Income Division, which is part of the IRS and looks at tax statistics. Then NSF has their own statistical agency in there. Social Security has a unit. Um, The Bureau of Transportation Statistics is in the Department of Transportation. Um, USDA has two. One is the um, National Agricultural Statistical Service, and they put out a lot of crop estimates and those types of very specific data. But the Economic Research Service is also a statistical agency, and they look at um, things like food security and other types of analysis. So they have a lot of economists. Um, but statistics that they put out are used differently. They're very widespread in okay. use. So some are really um, informing a lot of policy within their own agencies. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, statistics of income in the IRS is really there to improve tax administration. But they are also kind of the entryway to if you want to work with tax data in a statistical activity, you would do that through statistics of income. And then outside of government, I mean, there's all kinds of uses. So if you looked at something like the American Community Survey yes. at the Census Bureau, uh, that has enormous uh, applications beyond, you know, just putting out data. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, state economic development 
um, units use that to uh, lure businesses to oh, the right. state. Yep, yep. Um, it's very important because you can see sort of education levels. You can see all these demographic characteristics of the population at pretty low levels of geography, and it's comparable for the whole country. So it's very different than something the local chamber of commerce might put out that's Mm -hmm. kind of a booster type of we're the greatest county (laughs) in the country type of thing because it's objective and you can see the same data and you know it has the same quality for the whole country if you're trying to make investment decisions. And businesses also use that then when they're thinking about how um, to locate stores. So they know who their target audiences are and the demographic characteristics. So, you know, stores will figure out what do we need to put in the store, where do we want to locate. I mean, they use many sources of information, but that's a very important one for them. Same thing with home builders. They really use that data quite a bit. And then we have interesting applications as well. So a company like Zillow, for example, if you're looking at um, buying a house, and you start scrolling through some of these online things, and they tell you characteristics of neighborhoods. Yes. Much of that is federal statistical oh, information that they're pulling off the websites and putting into their applications, which, of course, we strongly encourage. It's great because you want easily accessible and usable information. But all of things like the, the economic indicator, so monthly retail sales, construction starts, um, the crop estimates, all that is federal statistical data. And then the official poverty rate, for example, measures that cover how many people have health insurance in in the country. Um, lots of health statistics, lots of education statistics that the federal government just puts out. And frequently people don't realize it's coming from the statistical agency because it'll be the Department of Education says mm-hmm. or the CDC says. But it's actually the statistical agency that's producing that. It's interesting. Okay. So, you know, the system, as we said, is, is decentralized. Why is that the case? But more importantly, um, what are the benefits to having it decentralized? And what are some of the challenges? It's decentralized because of the way it grew up. Okay. So, you know, right in 1790, we had the first census, and that was in the Constitution. But other statistical functions came up in response to need. So some of the very earliest statistical activities were to help Congress set tariffs, so trade information. Mm -hmm. And then um, education, before long, long before there was an education department, the federal government was collecting education statistics. So that unit in the Department of Education now is 150 years old. Um, Statistics really uh, sort of blossomed during the Depression Um, When the government then wanted to really understand labor, um, unemployment, um, how that affected the economy, moving into the war economy, I think that period really matured and grew the federal statistical system. But it, it grew so that each agency developed a statistical capability to measure their area of expertise. Um, This is different than what we see in most of the world. Most of the world has something that would be like a national statistical office where a great many of those functions are combined. And one thing I really want to point out, because I'm a very, very strong advocate of this, this administration put out a proposal when the reorganization proposal came out last year that recommends taking the Bureau of Labor Statistics and moving it 
into the Department of Commerce so that it's closer with the Census Bureau and the Bureau of Economic Analysis. I think that's an idea that's been around for a long time. It's been difficult to execute. But it models what we see more internationally, where the broad national statistics that measure the economy and the people are together and you have more data sharing. And in 2002, there was a law passed that actually allowed census and BEA and BLS to share data. It was, um, it's called SIPSI. It's the Confidential Information Protection and Statistical Efficiency Act. And it specifically says in there they should be allowed to share all their data. But unfortunately, a lot of the data that they needed to share to be more efficient was tax data. And so you needed a companion piece in the tax legislation to be changed in order for that to actually happen. And it never happened. But if you move them together and you let them be more efficient, and um, because a lot of what they're doing is related, mm-hmm. And they work together anyways, but just not very efficiently. Mm-hmm. I think we would be much more aligned with mm-hmm. the rest of the world in that regard. Mm-hmm. The benefits of being decentralized on some of these other areas are that you do have a lot of subject matter expertise. Uh-huh. So in some countries like Canada, everything is combined into one agency. In the UK, you have sort of Office of National Statistics that is kind of the BEA census and BLS functions with okay. the chief statistician sitting on that who does standards for the whole system. But then health, transportation, education, those are decentralized. So there's different models. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that we would benefit, and it is administration policy right now, to try to reorganize and combine those national statistics um, in sense. a more efficient yeah. way. It's a nice transition, if you would, to go into um, what – are your strategic priorities for your office? And, you know, how have external trends informed and shaped your strategic direction? Um, so I we touched on this a little bit, um, but I think this sort of information revolution that we are going through, yes, yeah. where people want more information faster. They're used to just Googling everything. Yes. Um, so that really... Um, is a strategic matter is a very high priority to make sure that when people want that type of data, they're getting high quality data, mm-hmm. like the you know most accurate data that they can get because of the way that people are accessing information. And um, so that that's a challenge to the statistical agencies. Um, and the priority is really to modernize the data collection methods to be able to get data out there faster. Surveys take a long time. And they're expensive, and people um, more and more don't like to answer them. It's an intrusion. They don't even pick up the phone if it's a telephone survey. And, of course, going door to door is very expensive. So it's hard to collect information that way. But the other thing that's happened as part of this information revolution is that more data is accessible Mm -hmm. in less traditional ways. Uh, For example, if you want to look at monthly retail sales— and you want to put it out faster than, say, six weeks after your survey to businesses of what were your retail sales. So you can start to look at things like companies that aggregate credit card records because more and more purchases are on credit cards. So the Census Bureau and the Bureau of Economic Analysis have done a lot of research in taking the aggregated credit card records. So they're de-identified because they're aggregated, but you can see – sort of what was bought on a credit card 
in Chicago mm-hmm. or in New York yesterday. That's how fast the data are aggregated. So you no longer have to go out to the business because you can see at the purchase end. The same thing, there's a lot of research that has gone on looking at um, sales receipts from registers for people buying in the store that captures the cash and the credit cards. There was another project that went on on price data where some folks went out and collected billions of points of data off the internet on prices in stores. Because right now, the way that uh, the price information is put together is shoppers actually go into the stores you know, and and keep track of prices of certain, like a market basket of goods and report those prices in. But if you can go on the internet and scrape that and collect all the prices, you have sort of a a greater source of information and you can get it faster and cheaper. So those are the kinds of challenges. How do we get that data? Um, There's a lot of information that the government has already collected on people. So it resides in not just Social Security records, but it resides in Medicare and Medicaid, resides in uh, veterans' records, in housing records. So why would you spend all this money to go out in a survey and recollect the information mm-hmm. if a lot of the information that you wanted has already been collected? Um, so doing more data sharing between agencies is a Priority. big focus. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if we talk a little bit about the foundations for evidence-based policymaking Absolutely. bill, yeah. um, that's a key element of that bill is to encourage more data sharing um, for the statistical agencies to produce this data. But it, again, you know, the big challenge, if you start collecting all of this very granular data from multiple sources, um, the other priority is to safeguard it. Yeah. At the at the other end, and make sure that you're really protecting confidentiality and privacy. So those are two big um, strategic initiatives that are in the federal statistical system that we're working cross agency, yeah. as well as um, putting input into the federal data strategy oh, yes, yes. Um, and implementation of the. Um, foundations for evidence-based policymaking bill is now, um, it's a huge undertaking. How is the federal government building the infrastructure for evidence-based policymaking? We will ask Nancy Potok, Chief Statistician of the United States within the Office of Management and Budget, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org.
Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Nancy Potok, Chief Statistician of the United States within the Office of Management and Budget. You mentioned two things just recently. You mentioned the Federal Data Strategy and the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act. Um, I'd like to talk about both. I'd like okay. to, to tell us a little bit about both and the implementation of the requirements of the Act and how do the requirements help you address some of the challenges you mentioned? Um, so the requirements of the of the Act um, really are geared towards um, a, a fundamental change okay. in the way agencies think about what they're doing. Um, a lot of people look at their bill and they just see, oh, there's three titles. The yeah. first one's evidence building. The second one's about open data. And the third one is some, I don't know, statistical thing, right? <laughs> I mean, no, seriously. <laughs> but if you look at the intent of the bill, mm-hmm. uh, and I feel like I have a lot of insight into the intent because the bill enacts 11 of the 27 recommendations of the Commission on Evidence-Based Policymaking, and I was one of the commissioners. So I really know those recommendations pretty well and why they're there, and I'm really excited about the bill. The, the point is to take this kind of fractured landscape that we see right now in the federal arena. So we have CIOs, we have privacy officials. We have the statistical agencies. We have performance improvement people. I mean, there's a whole array chief of... Chief data officers chief, now. Yeah, so yeah. in some places, but yeah. now this is a new position, yeah. um, as well as an evaluation officer. Yeah. And the first reaction people have is, oh, no, not another position, because it, we're already so siloed. In yeah. my observation, this is strictly anecdotal, it's not a statistical measurement, (laughs) is that there's a lot of unproductive time that's spent fighting over turf in agencies, who's in charge, who gets to make the decision. Even the best intentioned people don't have clear guidance on this. Um, But, you know, if you think about people in public service, they want to solve problems. Mm -hmm. They want to do um, something that really contributes to the well-being of the country. What this bill does is it says, wait, start thinking about this differently. Start with the questions you want to answer. This is not about starting with the metrics and then creating your metrics based on data that you have handy, right, which we've seen over and over again. This is about what do you really want to know? What are the big questions? So you could have several types of questions. Question might be about operational efficiency. How well are you conducting an operation? But um, often these questions are about the bigger outcomes. So if you are putting billions of dollars a year out there for education programs, mm-hmm. you know, is it working? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know. Yes. Right. Or um, even more. You know, a lot of the questions that we see out there now are things like how do we align um, people's educational backgrounds with the jobs of the future? Mm -hmm. How do you answer that question? You can answer it. The data exists. But you have to think about it a little bit differently than you have in the past. Um, Not just, well, this is the only thing I can find out from the data I have Mm -hmm. collected here right in front of me. Um, So what this does is, okay, agencies... You now have to put together uh, a learning agenda, an evaluation plan, an evidence plan. We, you need to come to OMB 
and say what it is you're really trying to find out. What are these big questions? And it could be operational. It could be an efficiency question, but it could be a bigger outcome type question. And um, then put a plan together of how you want to go about doing this. All right, now that's, that is a big undertaking mm-hmm. for an agency, right? So who's going to organize that effort and what does it take? Well, first you have to have some kind of a governance structure, right? You need um, people who can come together as a team around the table and really tackle problems. And I, I feel like by starting with problem solving, mm-hmm. we have a shot at actually being successful, because um, when you start with roles and responsibilities, then you start the turf battles. Mm-hmm. Who's in charge of what? But if you say, hey, guys, we have this problem. Let's all bring our strengths to the team. We need to think about the platforms we can use. We need to think about who has the data. We need to think about the structure of the data. We need to protect privacy. We need um, to really think about what this is telling us about our performance. And everybody brings something to the party, you know, and then you kind of sit around and say, this is how we can really tackle this together. Mm -hmm. What can each of us do to, to make this happen so we can get these answers? And it may be that you have to go to another agency to get the data. What frequently, it's in the agency, but it's in different bureaus, yeah. all pocketed. Sometimes even within a bureau, they don't share. So this is like a more strategic, mm-hmm. you know, leadership says we want to know the answers to these things. Let's figure out how to do it. To me, that's what Title I of that bill is all about. These learning agendas that drive getting the answers to the big questions, pull people together around the table as problem solvers Mm -hmm. to do that. And there's lots of little things in the bill, but they're really to enable that to happen and to build that capacity in government. Um, So you need to safeguard things like an evaluation officer who's objective and independent. So you don't come up with a a predetermined policy answer before you've even done a rigorous study. Right. Same thing. That's why you would have a statistical agency head person there at the table. Uh, But somebody has to coordinate all of this and be in charge. We don't have that now in a uniform way. And that's the chief data officer role is is to really think about all the different sources of data, um, all these different uses and to bring people together around the table at you know, to be responsive to the leadership of the organization. That is a huge culture change. That's going to be very, very difficult to do. But um, we're going to try to do that. I mean, one, through the way that we're developing the OMB guidance on how to implement. Um, But the other is to actually reach out and try to orient people. Like we're planning to um, hopefully run some um, for these new positions to run orientation sessions to give people training sort of boot camp yeah. type yeah. training. Mm-hmm. Um, these are this is what we expect you to be doing to to start looking at governance structures that work, data stewardship practices that work, and put those out there. And it's very very complementary to the federal data strategy. They just run in a fully integrated way side by side. Mm-hmm. One of the areas. I think where where people sometimes make too big of a distinction is 
you know, the open data piece. So mm-hmm. Title II of the Foundations for Evidence Bill is all about open data. But open data in, in the federal data strategy has a big piece on open data, too. So there's, there's two elements of that. Um, one is agencies using each other's open data to try to inform what they're doing. And then the other, and this is a very important element of the strategy as well, is, again, to try to mine the inherent value that's in federal data. There's lots of estimates out there about the value of Mm -hmm. data. But the value is really, you know, the truth is in the the telling of it, of how it's being used. So if you can put data out there and people pick it up and and can create businesses Mm -hmm. around the data, and we've seen that over and over again, one of my favorite stories is about um, one of the premier geospatial companies in the U.S. It's a billion-dollar-plus company. And the way that they started their company was from a $150 CD of um, GIS files, the Tiger line files that they bought from the Census Bureau. And it was only $150 because that's what it cost to produce it back in those days. And they took that and created this billion-dollar international mapping business, basically a geospatial business. And that's the kind of thing we love to see because it created so much value in the world and really revolutionizes the way people can use geospatial data as opposed to just, you know, sitting there at the Census Bureau. So that's what we want to see. How do we get the private sector to think of all these really cool things that you can do with federal data? So that's that's a big piece of it. Yeah. And then in the foundations bill, the last um, Title Three is really all about access to data. How do we do more data sharing, but in a very secure sure. environment? Sure. So it it sets up mechanisms, but most of the most of the things are sort of to be determined okay. through OMB guidance and regulations. So um, we have a collaborative group in OMB. Um, we're working. Um, with the CIO's office, okay. with our evidence team, with the performance folks, um, and OIRA, which has both the statistical and science policy and our privacy shop, mm-hmm. um, to come up with integrated guidance. Oh. I mean, that's been a sort of a, a lot of, we do a lot of talking to yeah. people. Um, a lot of us do have agency experience. We've been on the receiving end of OMB guidance. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? And so we, be. yeah, and, and what we're hearing kind of confirms our own experiences, which is it would be much better if OMB could be more collaborative internally instead of getting multiple guidance documents from different parts of OMB and at the agency trying to figure out how to sew that together into something seamless? Can't you just make it seamless at OMB before you give it to us? Mm-hmm. So that's what we're trying to do now. I want to ask you about the cap goal around data as an asset. But before I do that, I want to pick up on the fact that in this collaboration, how does the Interagency Council on Statistical Policy factor in? It's very important, actually. Um, so we have lots of cross-agency councils in government yeah. that people, I think, are more familiar with. So the CIO Council... Yeah the CFO council, all of those councils. The Interagency Council on Statistical Policy right now consists of the 13 agency heads. Mm -hmm. So the director of the Census Bureau, the director of BEA, the commissioner of BLS, et cetera, et cetera, um, are all on that. And 
it has been around for decades, but kind of flies under the radar because it's not one of those big sort of GSA-run councils. I chair it, and we kind of run – we're always running on empty, I guess would be the <laughs> analogy. We have no money or support, but we have a lot of substance. <laughs> and we talk about statistical policies and methods, and one of the very important things that we have is a federal committee on statistical methodology. Mm-hmm. So I appoint the members to that, and we pull people from across the federal government who have a lot of um, methodological experience, and we drive kind of the federal research program in statistics in many ways. So um, one thing that we're doing right now is we have a, a work group on how do we, in a standard way across the federal government, measure the quality of combined data mm-hmm. that I was talking about before yeah. when it comes from multiple sources. So the the um, the statistical methodology group ran three workshops and a big conference last year. We had lots of outside researchers. Um, they work with academia and, and others. Um, and then come up with working papers mm-hmm. that are guidelines. Sometimes the working papers mature enough so that I can put them out as OMB standards. Yeah, a lot of the OMB standards were developed through the Interagency Council on Statistical Policy through the methodologists. Um, Another working paper that they're updating now, because it hasn't been updated in over a decade, is um, how we do disclosure avoidance. That is how you keep individual business and person data from being re-identified after you release public statistical files. And so um, they're they're really trying to modernize that. And um, the other thing that we're doing, and we just had our, our annual strategic planning session last week, is really looking at the new role of the statistics officials and the heads of the statistical agencies under the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Bill. So I rely a lot on that um, council to -hmm. give me input to develop statistical policy and methods. I wanted to go back to another cross-agency effort, Mm -hmm. and and that is how are data a strategic asset for the U.S. federal government? But more importantly, what can you tell us about the cross-agency priority goal, leveraging data as a strategic asset? And is there any progress or updates you want to offer? Yes, yes. We've done a lot of work. On this, so just um, overall talking about um, the data strategy, mm-hmm. it has um, a couple of different pieces to it that that I'll cover um, because it it really is about um, some of the aspects that I mentioned: the open data mm-hmm. and getting data out to the private sector. And I should mention, too, that for anybody who wants to follow up on anything I'm saying about the federal data strategy, you just can go to um, strategy.data.gov. And there's a whole website there with everything that I'm talking about is on that website. Wonderful. Um, So the data strategy has four areas. Um, One is sort of enterprise governance (laughs) for how we establish policies and data stewardship and those types of things. One other area is kind of access. Mm -hmm. How do you get to the data, including open data, decision-making and accountability. So 
how do we use it to make decisions? And that's why I say this parallels very nicely with the with the legislation. And then commercialization and innovation. Um, and how do we sort of keep moving this forward and, again, go into really extracting the value of the data for all these other purposes besides just the original federal sure. mission for which it was collected. So those are the four pieces that we're looking at. Um, the first thing we wanted to do, though, was to put out some principles. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned that the federal statistical system is very mature in terms of thinking about principles and practices and sort of ethical uses of data and things like that. So we wanted to start with that, and we wanted a lot of public input into this whole process. So we drafted up some principles. We held some roundtables, and we put it out for public comment. We got very good comments. And and so now we do have 10 principles that we've put out uh, in a couple of different frameworks, really three. One is about ethical governance. That's where we started. And it's about upholding ethics, exercising responsibility with the data, um, and promoting transparency and protecting privacy is in there, uh, although it's sort of baked into mm-hmm. all of these. Um, the second one is conscious design. So making sure what you're doing is relevant, that you're using existing data where possible, and you're kind of anticipating future uses when you start collecting data for something. So you're thinking you know, sort of the bigger picture at all times. How how can others use this data? So you start doing metadata and interoperability standards and things like that and being responsive. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you have objective data but still be responsive to policy needs, right, to inform that? Um, and then the, the third dimension of that is a learning culture. So how do we continue to invest in learning and develop that data leader capability in the federal workforce? Um, And how do we practice accountability and train people and really keep growing capacity? So that's what the 10 principles are around. And then we um, put together about 47 best practices. And I I do want to emphasize, too, that we did not sort of sit at OMB and make this up. We have a work group that consists of 40 people who are giving of their time from agencies across government who are working on this. Uh, Because I think we all felt that if it's not doable in an agency, there's no point, right? We don't want to put out sort of pie-in-the-sky stuff that has all these implementation problems. So let's just just bring the agency people in in the first place and write this so that it's actually doable – and there's buy-in, and when those folks are in their agencies, they can start to get some support for this. So it's not just, oh, here comes another thing <laughs> we're supposed to comply with. So the best practices are are good best practices. I mean, there are things that they come from different agencies, mm-hmm. but they're, there's a track record there. There are things that people have done that really work. The other piece of this that we wanted to do, and I think this is kind of the fun piece, is the the incubators um, in kind of use cases. So we asked people to come in with ideas of what what is something that is um, complementary to the federal data strategy that you would like to demonstrate and move forward with. And um, we got a lot 
of proposals in. And so we're we're trying to encourage people to move forward with those projects and we're publicizing them. And in some instances, we're helping them find like the right technical environment to carry out the work if they want to link data from different places to you know, some of the examples I was giving before. So we're really encouraging those and blogging about them and publicizing them because we're hoping that will spark some ideas in the agencies if they're thinking, oh, well, they did that. Maybe I can can do something else. Um, And then we have, we didn't want the strategy to be sort of the book that goes on the shelf next to, (laughs) you know. So we have a one-year, first-year implementation plan um, that has a lot of very specific things that we want agencies to do. That should have been out already, Mm -hmm. but because of the lapse in funding, a lot of agencies weren't able to work on this. So we're a little behind, but Mm -hmm. hopefully that will be out soon. And many of the things, again, in the first year implementation plan um, tie back nicely to the legislation. What does the future hold for the federal data and statistical communities? We will ask Nancy Potuck. Chief Statistician of the United States within the Office of Management and Budget when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Each week on the Business of Government Hour, government executives and thought leaders join host Michael Keegan for an informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. These individuals are truly changing the way government does business. So join him each week on the Business of Government Hour and find out how the business of government isn't business as usual. The Business of Government Hour, every Monday at 11 on the Federal News Network. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Nancy Potok. Chief Statistician of the United States within the Office of Management and Budget. So, Nancy, you've mentioned a couple of times in our conversation that the pace of change, which is inherently, uh, you know, the the result of a lot of technical technological changes and advances. I'm wondering, what does the future hold in the federal data and statistical communities relative to this change? I think there's a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope agencies uh, move to take advantage of them. Um, some some are technological. So, for example, uh, learning more about artificial intelligence and machine learning. I know a, a lot of people um, get confused about that. What does that really mean? How would you really use it? But just thinking of a couple of examples I think might help people think about this with more clarity. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'll just go back to a conversation I had with someone um, a couple days ago where she was telling me, we really want to work with the federal data strategy. We like this new bill. Um, We're trying to find answers, but 
we are overwhelmed with data. Mm. We have so much data. We don't even know how to go through it to find what we're doing. And a lot of it is unstructured. So it's it's old and it was written down. And we're trying to answer questions, but it's all sort of um, PDF files yeah. of, of forms. Yeah. So what do we do? And to me, technology can already really help with that. Um, so you can do things like text analysis mm -hmm. that with machine learning. So it gets better and better for your purposes. You know, it's kind of intelligent in terms of directing you to where the information is in some of this unstructured data. And I, I know it really helped. One example I can think of was um, the Census Bureau went out for some public comment about aspects of the 2020 census and got, you know, over 170,000 comments because a lot of people care about the census. Absolutely. And it was sort of like, wow, how do we sort through all of these comments? But by using some of these new programs that do text analysis, mm -hmm. you can start to bucket them. And then you can spend your time thinking about the substance instead of, um, you know, some of the more clerical type functions that you that you have. And I, I really see when you look at advances in technology where you you went from these more manual type processes to um, more automated processes. Um, to me, this is a natural next step is for people to really start to rely on the artificial intelligence and the machine learning. Um, the only challenge with that that people really have to think about is um, making sure that they can maintain some degree of transparency, which is very important from a methodological standpoint, because if you have any biases built into your algorithms, mm -hmm. you need to be able to discover that. So there's there's challenges there, but to me, that's one of the really great opportunities. Um, some of these programs that will help you connect data. I've seen people working on some things that will sort of create metadata as you're um, building your data sets. So it's automatically created for you and it makes it very searchable. So if somebody wants to know, hey, is this a data set that I can use? What's in it? You can sort of see the table of contents immediately in a standardized way. So I think we're really moving towards relieving people of some of these very tedious kinds of tasks mm -hmm. um, that still exist and have become overwhelming because of the amount of data that are available, as well as making it much more uniform and easy to figure out what you want to access. And, and there's lots of ways you can use technology to have, you know, when you look at sort of some of the private sector things, like if you go to buy a product mm -hmm. at a store, you have reviews. You have people talking about um, how they used it. You have videos of people demonstrating the the product that they put there themselves. Well, why can't you do that with data sets, yeah. right? So why don't people say, this is a great data set, but it's missing these variables? Or when I was working with this, I noticed that this was very bad quality over here. And just be able to talk to each other mm -hmm. about that. So that requires, you know... People being able to access in an environment that has kind of a front end that lets people do that. Yeah. But we know it exists because mm -hmm. we've got it in the private sector yeah. all over the place. It's how people shop now yeah. or make decisions about where to go eat dinner, right? So why can't we do that with accessing federal data? 
Um, so that's where I think sure. the future is, is really in that usability and freeing people up to answer the big questions instead of, oh, my gosh, we don't have the resources. The yeah, like to say, well, we can't clean up our data. Yeah. It's like, well, let's get some software that cleans it up, mm-hmm. right, yeah. so that we can start using it the way it's intended. Amazing. So, you know, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? I would say you really need to understand what your own sort of passions are, what what you want to accomplish in your work life. If your goal is to make a lot of money, do not come into federal or public service. Um, but if you want to have an outsized effect on the way society runs and answer some of these big questions and really make a contribution, public service is probably a great way to do that. It's not the only way, but it's a great way. Um, and I, I would also tell people, um, especially early in their careers, to put their toe in the water and try it out. Don't don't make a decision. When I first went into public service, um, when I got into the Presidential Management Fellow Program, I thought I was going to be really in the federal government for two years as a fellow and then figure out you know, where I was going to go from there. And, you know, now it's many decades later and I keep coming back. Even when I leave the federal government, I keep coming back because it's exciting, actually. So I I guess my advice to people would be try it, mm-hmm. see if it's for you. Um, and don't feel limited by your first experience either. Um, you know, my first experience... I knew that I didn't want to stay with that agency in that job. But the one thing that's exciting, I think, about the federal government is the ability to move around and try different things. So I encourage people to be open-minded, experimental, um, and really find what their passion is and follow that. Wonderful. Well, Nancy, thank you for coming in today and uh, spending some time with me. But more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure, really. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Nancy Potuck, Chief Statistician within the Office of Management and Budget. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. Each week on the Business of Government Hour, government executives and thought leaders join host Michael Keegan for an informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. These individuals are truly changing the way government does business. So join him each week on the Business of Government Hour and find out how the business of government isn't business as usual. The Business of Government Hour, every Monday at 11 on the Federal News Network. 